Well, no one in Hamilton, the hammer, needs to be told about what Ron Joyce means to Steeltown because he really uh, put the city on the map, opening up the very first coffee and donut shop on what would uh, inevitably become a multi-billion dollar empire. But uh, the Kenilworth landmark was the start of it all. And, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was not unusual for families to trek on over. Remember those big red leather swiveling chairs? You know, and back then the choice is so much more simple. Coffee and donuts. And uh, this was a business born out of a partnership between, you know, what Mr. Joyce himself called it, a dumb cop and a hockey player. And that would be Tim Horton, who uh, sadly would die two years into the partnership. But Joyce would end up building that one store into an empire and an enormous, he had an enormous philanthropic uh, legacy. And I think, you know, while the brand has taken a hit for probably a lot of us, and Tim Hortons may not be what it was, certainly when it was owned by Joyce, there was, I don't think there was anything more Canadian than Tim Hortons. Robert Thompson uh, wrote the book, Always Fresh, the untold story of Tim Hortons by the man who created a Canadian empire. He's remembering him today, and he, re- he joins us now. Robert, you wrote a book with this man, and so you have an interesting perspective of, I guess, what the real Ron Joyce would have been like in life. What was he like? Well, Mr. Joyce is a really interesting character for a whole variety of different reasons. I mean, you, you, you look at a guy. Here's a guy who came from Tadabagush, Nova Scotia, came to Hamilton, you know, as mm-hmm. a teenager with essentially nothing. And I mean, by nothing, I think he jokes he had $10 when he got off the train. And from that, you know, went into the Navy, became a police officer, not a very good police officer by his own account. And then, you know, in order to sort of find out what the next thing his life was, got into the restaurant business, first with Dairy Queen, and then by happenstance through this chain called Tim Hortons. So he was willing to really take, like, a super risk on things, which was, so he, he was willing to go all in on something, which I found it very interesting. But I also think in the greater scheme of things, having worked with them and having heard the Tim Hortons story, Ron was the guy who was willing to, you know, just put it, grind out the hours, put in the time, do whatever it took to make the thing successful. And I think that's, you know, the, the real takeaway I had from him was, by the time I got to know him, he was worth a billion dollars and had jets and boats and golf resorts and all that. But I think the fundamentally, when you hear the stories about the 60s and, and getting Tim Horton started and off the ground and sustainable, it was really just grinding out hours. Yeah, I mean, because he even refers to himself as, you know, a dumb cop who teamed up with a hockey player to, to sell coffees and donuts. And, it, and I grew up in Hamilton, and I remember trekking off to that Kenilworth store, and I remember the interior as god-awful as it was. But that was, I mean, it put Hamilton on the map, that chain. I mean, you couldn't, there's not a block in Hamilton at one point that didn't have a Tim Hortons on it. So here's this guy who had a very, you know, small dream, but it blew up huge. 100%. And, you know, but... I, earlier in the day, somebody asked me what was the secret to their success, and I think the secret to Tim Horton's success wasn't that they made the best coffee. Clearly, most people would argue they don't. Um, wasn't that they made the best donuts, but what they could do is they brought consistency to um, a part of the restaurant industry that at the time was hor- horribly inconsistent. You know, you could you know you get roadside coffee that tasted like yeah. oil; it was terrible, <laughs> and the donuts were stale. And Ron found a way to to make that all pretty good and. You know, it turns out that pretty good resonated with a lot of people. Um, you know, the other genius thing he did, just like Ray Kroc did with McDonald's, is he bought real estate. You know, the restaurant situated on real estate he owned. And, you know, when he sold the chain for over $600 billion in the mid-1990s, I think that that was the other key to success. Where a dumb cop from Hamilton 
he was pretty smart. He was pretty smart. Um, it wasn't always easy. There were bumps along the way. I mean, when after Tim Horton died, I mean, there was, um, you know, a, a meeting of the family. I mean, he ended up buying them out. Some people looked at that as, as unfair. Yeah, it's funny. You know, that's the, the, the issue with Laurie Horton, Tim's widow, who really had had nothing to do with the business, has been, you know, a longstanding issue because she sued him famously in the mid-1980s trying to, uh, saying she'd been taken advantage of. You know, I'll defend that, saying that Lori Horton was paid a million dollars in 1975 for a business that had a few dozen restaurants, tons of debt, and no guaranteed upside. Um, nobody in 1975 could have seen what Tim Hortons would become, or if he did, you would have been worth millions and millions of dollars as well. So, you know, I think that she wasn't a business person, and she didn't have she just didn't know what she was doing in that regard. So taking a million dollars in 1975 seemed pretty good. You know, jump start, jump a decade from there, Ron has jets and, you know, there's hundreds of restaurants now and Tim Hortons is becoming a thing, you know, a Canadian brand, a Canadian icon. And when you get to that point, then it looks like a mistake. But, you know, as they say about hindsight, yeah. 2020. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, he took risks. You know, he teamed up at you know with Wendy's at one point. And eventually, you know, he let go of, of Tim Hortons. And it's no longer really, I don't think, a Canadian thing because it's owned by a bunch of hedge fund guys down uh, in South America. Um, would he have been saddened at the state of Tim Hortons today? Well, every so often, Ron would stick his head up and he has... He did in the book with me. He did in, you know, I did a couple of magazine articles around when they're taking Tim Hortons public, something he was always reluctant to do personally. Um, and he has even in recent years. You know, the, the, the earliest franchise store owners still had a deep connection to Ron, and so he felt a connection to the business that is, you know, been longstanding. It's really, um, what the unhappy with how what Tim Hortons became? Yeah, I think so. He always felt that the, re- the the chain would be as successful as the restaurants were, and he felt that, as you point out, you know, South American hedge funds owned it. They were trying to squeeze the guys who made the business successful. Yeah. And, you know, they went from having 20% margins on those stores to high single digits or less, and it became harder and harder for those people to make money. So I think that he was also unhappy. He thought the chain had moved away from what made it successful. You know, there's a million products on the menu now, right. whereas when Ron was there, it was pretty simple. It was, and it was a cooler and a coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got, you got, a, you got your double-double and, and a, uh, you know, a, a chocolate Old-fashioned, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, pretty yeah, much. And, and that's what it was, but even when I was working with him, they were starting to add a lot of other things, and he would regularly voice that this wasn't what the restaurant chain was about. Yeah, and I think, you know, as he moved away from, from the day-to-day business, um, really his life became about uh, philanthropy. He, this man, I don't think people realize that he was much more than coffee and donuts. He gave an enormous amount of money away. Well, he had an enormous amount to give away, right? I mean, the, the thing about Ron is, you remember, he didn't graduate from high school, but I drove, with driving back from Toronto today, drove by, you know, a building named after yeah. for a university. <laughs> and you think, he, he spent a lot of his time in the later part of his life, either through the Tim Hortons Children's Foundation mm-hmm. and the camps, um, or, you know, the, the philanthropy he did around universities or hospitals. You know, I, I, I haven't confirmed this, but my understanding is, you know, he died at, at, at well, one of the people who put out a statement today was a hospital that have a wing named after him. So yeah. it's like, it's, there's, there's so much of his light, later life was trying to give away this great wealth he had. But, you know, I have so many funny stories about Ron and, and his ridiculous amount of money, um, you know, at the end of his life in those years I knew him and when I did the book, he simply couldn't spend it fast enough because it just kept accruing. So 
um, you know, I think it was great that he was able to do the philanthropy that he wanted to do. And what is, like, when you think about him, because you had a, a little bit of a personal connection to him, what is a, a funny story that you can share with him that you'll kind of always remember Ron Joyce by? Um, there, there's a number of them, but the one that struck me was at the end of the book when we were finishing it, we were sitting in his house in Burlington, I think we are having lunch, and he said, do you want to go see this first Tim Hortons, which is around the corner from where his house had been in, in Hamilton? And mm-hmm. I said, great. And we got in his Mercedes, and we drove up the highway, and we parked the Mercedes straight in front of the restaurant, which we weren't supposed to do. And we got it, we wandered in, and nobody knew who he was. And he thought it was kind of interesting, because here he is sitting in the first store that made him a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And by that point, you know, ten, uh, 10 years removed from owning it outright, a few years from being on the board of Wendy's, people didn't know who he was. But, you know, once they did, once the owners came out and said, oh, Ron's here, then it was like, holy cow, this is the guy who started this. And I think that people just, he could be very unassuming. You know, I'd I'd say the other anecdote was when we launched the book, we did a book launch at the Rotman School of Business in Toronto, and Ron came out, we were waiting for a car to pick us up, and this kid came up and asked Ron to light a cigarette. (laughs) Ron lit a cigarette, and the kid wandered off, and I said to Ron, you know, you may be the richest person that that kid will ever meet his entire life, and he didn't even recognize it. Ron kind of chuckled and shrugged his shoulders, and that was kind of the way he was. He could be fairly unassuming, considering, you know, he did like the, the privileges that his wealth brought, the boat and, the you know, owning the Calgary Flames, and part of the Flames, and having jets and all that. But by and large, he's a pretty unassuming guy. Yeah, well, interesting uh, interesting life and certainly a huge, huge legacy. The book is Always Fresh, the untold story of Tim Hortons by the man who created a Canadian empire. Robert, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. That is Robert Thomas joining us tonight. And it'll be interesting to see if they uh, push that book back out because I think a lot of us forget that uh, Ron Joyce, I mean, he's a small guy with big dreams. But he's got an enormous, enormous legacy in this country. So uh, thoughts to that family. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.